The kingdom of God is the kingly reign of God, which means he reigns over everything. There is nothing, not a grain of sand, not a star, not a cell in your body, not anything anywhere that doesn't belong to him. God is Lord, King, reigns over everything. And crucially, he reigns in the hearts and minds of those who have submitted themselves to his kingly rule as well. God's kingdom is past. God has always reigned. God's kingdom is present. He reigns now. And his kingdom is coming. And his kingdom is future. It has yet to come fully and will only fully come when Jesus returns. Now, you've all heard of DNA. DNA, I've no idea what it stands for. DNA is the genetic information responsible for the development and function of a human being. You are full of it. And at conception, you know the biology, when the sperm and the egg unite, that contains all the genetic information, the DNA, needed to form and develop a baby. Now, DNA can change a little bit over time, over the years, but it's basically all there from the beginning. The Bible is a little bit like that. It's all there from the beginning. All the themes, all the crucial stuff in the first two or three chapters of Genesis, all the key things are there and then develops over the course of the story of the Bible. And today, we're looking at a theme that begins very, very early in the Bible that becomes clear in the passage we're talking about today, is repeated regularly and then develops as the Bible's story goes along. It's this, that God calls people into his family for the purpose of enjoying, expressing, and extending his rule. He calls us into his family to enjoy, express, and extend his rule, which in Bible language means we are a holy people, or sometimes in the Bible, a holy nation. Now, let me give you a quick bit of context for the setting that we're diving into today. The people of Israel, bunches of years ago, are down in Egypt. God hears their cries, delivers them out of Egypt with a whole bunch of plagues, 10 plagues, gets them out of Egypt. They cross through the Red Sea. God performs miracles for them by way of providing water and providing food. He defeats a major enemy of theirs. And now, at the beginning of the third month out of Egypt, God has got them camped in front of Mount Sinai. And they're going to stay there for almost a year. And while they stay there, Moses is periodically going to climb up Mount Sinai to hear what God has got to say to the people. He did that regularly. He did that to get the Ten Commandments. And he does that here in Exodus chapter 19. Moses then went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, as you know, much of the New Testament is developing these themes that begin in the Old Testament. So if we jump forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, which is near the end of the Bible, you're going to spot the similarities in these words that Peter writes to his readers. He says this, As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Spot the, spot the similarities like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Jump down a little bit, spot more similarities. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's the first thing, jumping back to Exodus chapter 19, that we have to recognize before we get any further. As always in the story of God, it begins with his gracious initiative. So verse four of Exodus chapter 19 that we read was this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God's way of dealing with mankind through the Bible's story, you may have spotted this in your Christian journey, there's sometimes a false dichotomy put together. It's like, it goes like this. People say, in the Old Testament, well, God was very angry and grumpy. And he put out loads of laws that the people had to keep. And he just seems to be about to blast someone all the time. And then you get through to the New Testament. And thank goodness, God has gone through a transformation. And he's now loving and kind and generous and gracious. That is an utterly false dichotomy, as we have read right here. This very story, everything in the Bible begins with God's gracious activity. And even in the Old Testament, it is littered with his gracious activity. Even if you think about it, giving the sacrificial system. Did he have to do that? There's an answer to that. Come on. No, he didn't have to do that. He graciously gave them a system of sacrifices that they could stay right with him. Even the giving of the law is his gracious act. He's patient right through the whole story. And here in this chapter, how is it that he got them out of slavery in Egypt? Did they have a good day? And God looked down and said, oh my word, these people are now suddenly doing really well. I'll help them out of Egypt. Not at all. It is God's gracious activity that he carried them on wings like eagles and he delivered them out of Egypt. Every bit of the Bible story begins with the gracious initiative of God, always. God's kingdom, his reign, has always been founded on unmerited favor, on his gracious initiative. It's just that it becomes all the more extraordinary in the New Testament. 
the ultimate demonstration of God's gracious initiative in rescuing people that they might know him is the sending of Jesus Christ. And if at any point, if at any point, we want to ask, why does God act like that? We have to be very careful where we look. That theme's already come through this morning. You need to be very careful where you look. When I married Jackie, or before I married Jackie, this may surprise you, but there were things in me that attracted her to me. <laughs> Honestly, I'm yet to work out what they might possibly have been. I certainly won't be asking you if you can find any. But there were things. There were things in me that attracted her a little bit like a magnet to her. Before coming to Citygate, there were things in Citygate that attracted me to want to come towards Citygate. But be under no illusions that when it comes to God choosing his people, drawing them to himself, delivering him, the only thing that there is is things in him. It is initiative in his part. There is nothing attractive about the human being lost in sin. The human being's a funny thing. Is the human being valuable? Yes. Well done. Yes. The human being is utterly valuable. We are created in the image of God. We are knit together in our mother's womb, every single one of us. And yet, does that mean the human being is just pure and lovely? No, the the human being, though of complete value, is completely sinful. There's nothing in the human being. Gordon, let's take you for an example. <laughs> Just randomly, of course. Let's take Gordon, for example. Wonderful, valuable human being. But God did not look at him, as Jackie looked at me, and thought, what lovely qualities in Gordon. I must have him. The opposite, in fact, God chooses us in spite of us, not because of us. The initiative, the grace, the quality, the goodness is all in him. So in the Old Testament, picking up this story that we're looking at in Exodus chapter 19, in Deuteronomy, we read this. Just to make it clear, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples and the worst of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. It's all about him. It's all about his gracious initiative. And as I said, it just gets more amazing in the New Testament. A very famous statement, which some of you will know. It is by fill in the blank we are saved. It is by grace, unmerited favour, outrageous kindness that we are saved. God's kingdom, his reign, whether you're looking at Genesis, Exodus, or, two, or 1 Peter, is full of grace from beginning to end for the purpose of enjoying, expressing, and extending his kingdom. And there are three terms 
in that passage in Exodus 19, they're repeated in 1 Timothy 2. There are three terms that are used that sum all of this up, and they are these wonderful terms. You will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Firstly, my treasured possession. God looked at all the nations and chose Abraham and from him, because of his promises to Abraham and keeping his covenant, he continued to choose that nation only because of himself, out of all the nations. You see, God's kingdom, his reign, is both universal and personal, as we've said. Everything is his, literally everything. And then he chooses to especially set his affection on those who are especially his. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, etc. Here expressed in these words, you, sorry, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession, he says to Israel. And that theme, as I said, runs right through the Bible. You can trace it such that you get near the end of the Bible and Peter is saying the very same thing. You are a chosen people, God's special possession. The people God has chosen to be his own. Let me just, on the side here, say this. Let me do, this is the best stuff. That takes the pressure away. It takes all the pressure away. Because God loves you and calls you a treasured possession. Nothing to do with you. You might say, but I'm not very nice. I must be disqualified. Look what I did yesterday. I must be disqualified. I don't have the qualities that he has or she has. Surely God can't love me. No, but it's not about you. Do you get the point? It's a massive pressure off. I don't have to wake up in the morning and think, well, if I don't live right today, what is God going to think? So I tell you what he's going to think? He's going to think, I chose them and I knew it all beforehand. And I still love them because it never was about them, and it never will be about them. It's all about me, God says over you. Now, lest you suddenly think, oh my word, who cares what I do then? Oh my goodness, you just haven't got it, have you? It's like, if you get that, you think, I so want to please him. I so want to live for a God who, who treats me like that, who deals with me like that, who loves me regardless. And this extraordinary grace promotes and teaches holiness rather than mitigating against it. It is utterly extraordinary. We are his chosen, treasured possession. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He chose us in him before he created the world. He decided to have you before you'd done a thing, before you could have done anything good, before you did do anything bad. He chose you. That's why you're in his kingdom. That's why you're enjoying his reign, because he chose you. 
And he predestined us, Ephesians 1, for adoption to sonship. Not to live in the slave compartment, not to come in through the, tra- you know, through the tradesman's entrance, but to come in right in the front door because you are an adopted child of God. And let me tell you what he doesn't do. He never unadopts his children. It's impossible. Your harmony with him might go all over the place, but you never stop being his son. It's remarkable. God's kingdom, God's reign is to be enjoyed because we are wanted. We are accepted. It's absolutely magnificent. This is the crucial starting point. Treasured. (laughs) Do you know what you are? You're treasured. You're treasured. You're treasured. You're treasured. You're treasured. But I don't feel treasured. It's irrelevant. It's not the point. I've just said to you, it's not about you. It's about his choice and his choosing. He treasures you if you're in his kingdom. Those two people who put their hands up this morning, you probably came in here this morning and you say, well, I wasn't a Christian. Let me tell you what happened. What's happening is this. The God who always existed and always will exist, the God who fills everything, the God who owns everything, has said to you this morning, treasured, wanted, accepted, forgiven, not just put up with, and not even just my sins are forgiven, but wanted, adopted, chosen into his family. That is the starting point in this passage and in every part of the, of, of the Bible, whom God chooses, he treasures. I wonder if you can dare to believe that. All our world has got to offer is look inside and find something to treasure. Let me tell you, that's a pretty bad look. Because at the end of the day, you know what you're like. The Christian looks up and finds almighty God who treasures and says, I will have you. Wonderful, treasured. Secondly, a kingdom of priests. Well, individual priests are not actually appointed until a bit later in the story. But the concept of priestly functions would already have been well known. Priests were those who had access to God. They were appointed to serve and instruct and act as mediators. But amazingly, what God is defining here is not only a kingdom with priests, but a kingdom of priests. In other words, it's not just going to be a select few, let's say this is the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament. Well, you guys, you're the lucky ones, well, sort of, you're the lucky ones, you get access to God in a special way. You get to serve him and worship him kind of full time. That's your job. The rest of you, (laughs) get out in the fields and bring in the crops. These guys are the privileged ones. That's not what God is instituting here. All are to be priests. It's a kingdom of worshippers, a kingdom of servers, a whole nation of those who will enjoy access to and fellowship with God. There are two things particularly that he means by calling them a kingdom of priests, which Peter, of course, repeats in the New Testament. Firstly, there's a Godward focus to this being 
a priest to being a kingdom, a nation of priests. Now, a bit later, as I've said, a bit later in the story, the tribe of Levi get to be the official priests because someone's got to do certain sacrificial tasks, especially. They got to, you know, to worship and serve all the time. And actually, to be a priest it was a really bloody job. It was gory, it was gruesome. Someone worked out the number of sacrifices you had to do every year. It was incredible, what a mess. Blood everywhere. Not that glamorous after all. And that task was reserved to the Levites. But God is saying here that everyone, as a treasured possession, has the privilege of enjoying God's presence of worshipping him, of serving him, of knowing him. There's a Godward focus to being a priest and being a nation of priests. There's also a nation's focus. There's an outward-looking focus to being a priest too. See, Israel, Exodus chapter 19, fast forward in 1 Peter 2 to the church, would be a nation or a kingdom of priests because they would serve the nations. They would bring the good news of the kingdom, of God's gracious initiative on their behalf to everyone they encountered, expressing and extending this kingdom as they enjoy this kingdom wherever they go. Israel, one writer said, was chosen not only from and out of the nations, but for the nations. So for example, back in Deuteronomy, we read this. Observe these laws carefully, God says to his people, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Out of the nations, but you're speaking by the way you live to the nations. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, they will say. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as these? What's going on there? God is saying to his people, I have called you out from and out of the nations to be a witness to the nations. Your lifestyle will be such that others will look on and think, my goodness, how does life work so well with them? Well, it's because the Lord is with us, because he hears us when we pray and because we obey what he says. How about this from Psalm chapter 50, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Doesn't it make your heart ache, seriously ache, when you read the stories of the church and you have to feel like from Zion, messed up and unbeautiful, God looks very small. What a tragedy. God's intent was that this kingdom, this nation of priests, would mediate the good news of the kingdom to all the peoples around because of how they live with God at the center. As God's people enjoyed God's kingdom, they would express and extend it. And that is exactly what continues in the New Testament. You'll remember this 1, Tim, 1 Peter 2 passage ended like this. 
You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Declare his praises to who? Well, back to God, to one another, but also to the peoples around, that they may know there is a God in town who loves them. Well, what about this? Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What is the church living with? What is its purpose as a kingdom of priests? It's to hold onto and extend out the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, not just forgiveness, but there's a God who reigns. Come and know him. Those who put their hands up this morning and maybe others, it's not just get your sins forgiven, it's come into the wonderful reign of God. That's the good news that the church is sharing, which saves us from small Christianity. You know what small Christianity is? Small Christianity is this. It's when people have a Christianity about this wide and about this deep, and they keep themselves in it and it's, it's all right now because God has forgiven me and I'll be all right one day. It's about that big, uh, about that big. It's not very big, it's not very wide, it's not very deep. This is the story of those who are called into his wonderful reign to extend his reign and enjoy his reign and live out the life of living under this amazing king who loves us and forgives us and calls us to all the blessings of being under his rule, to live that out, enjoying his reign, to express it and extend it. That's a broader Christianity. That's a broader picture. That's the canvas your life is being painted on. Did you realize that? You're not here just to survive until, you, until Jesus returns or you die. We're here to see a bigger picture that we are extending his reign. How are we doing that? As a treasured possession who are a kingdom of priests. And finally, we are a holy nation. These three phrases are very connected. And in my head, it's like a holy nation kind of just then sums it all up. To be holy means not to be dull and hide away in a purified cave. To be holy means to be consecrated, separated, called out from. So out of all nations, we read here, you will be consecrated, separated, called out as my treasured possession, belonging exclusively to God and to no other, a holy nation. When I married Jackie, um, I entered into an exclusive arrangement. That was the deal. I made promises to that effect. I have sought to live up to that. I belong to an exclusive covenant. On that day, I gave up my rights to be one of the many fish in the pond. Not that many were fishing. <laughs> but that's not the point. I gave up my rights to be available. 
Again, not many were looking. Again, that's not the point. I gave it all up because I entered into a covenant whereby an exclusive arrangement was made, forsaking all others till death us do part. And that dictates my intended pattern of living. That's similar to the covenant that Israel entered into with God. You'll be a holy nation. You won't mix with other nations. You won't intermarry. You won't have syncretistic religion adding bits of theirs in. No, because you've been called out to be separated, a special possession, a kingdom of priests who will exclusively belong to God. Peter says the same thing. He has rescued us. Sorry, go to Colossians chapter 1. Similar things are being said. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us or transferred us into the kingdom or the reign of the son he loves. I was in one kingdom following the prince of the air, following certainly not Jesus, but following the devil ultimately. And I've been transferred out of that kingdom and brought into the kingdom under the reign of the son that he loves. And that means there's a distinctive lifestyle. That's what it means to be holy. Being holy isn't first and foremost about sin avoidance. It's about enjoying God. It's less austerity and more celebration. It's less for the purpose of hiding from the world with God and showing the world what God is like. So separated and called out from doesn't mean hide away. It's an attachment It's an exclusive covenant that we've entered into. This is great news, isn't it? We are God's treasured possession, living as priests, as a distinct and holy people. And let me tell you, that broadens the horizons of the Christian life. That's the canvas we're being painted on. That's what he is seeking to do with us. And this morning, I would like to, as we finish, kind of commission you again to live with a bigger picture. You're treasured. You're ministering to God and ministering to the world wherever you go. And we are a distinct people living under the reign of the king. Here's how we're going to do it very quickly. I'm bound to miss some people out. Please forgive me. If you're in education, this time tomorrow, you'll be in education. Could you just stand up quickly, please? I want to pray for you. There must be some. I'm not going to do anything to you. Don't worry. If you're in education tomorrow, this time tomorrow, I want you to remember this. Treasured. This time tomorrow, I want you to remember this. I'm living and serving God, but also those around me. And this time tomorrow, I want you to remember I'm living a kingly lifestyle as a holy nation. Lord, we pray for every single one of these, from school pupils to head teachers, 
Whatever there is, Lord, we ask you in your mighty name for a bigger picture of what it is to live in the kingdom of God tomorrow morning. Amen. If you are in health, you can sit down. If you're in health this time tomorrow, health this time tomorrow, remember this, you're treasured. Remember this, you're serving God and serving others for him. And you're living a distinct lifestyle because you have a king. Lord, we pray for each and every one of these. This time tomorrow, you will fill their conscious mind with these magnificent truths. We pray, Lord, that through them the kingdom may come because they are living under a glorious reign. As the kingdom lives in them, may it come through them, we pray. Amen. You may sit down. If you're retired, uh, excuse me, there's no shame. There's a lot of giggling and hesitance. You guys have served the nation brilliantly. Well done. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name, that this time tomorrow, these wonderful people will know what it is to be treasured. Not washed up and finished, but just doing the next lap. Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come as they enjoy your rule, express your rule. Please extend it through them wherever they are this time tomorrow. Amen. We're not going to get through everyone. Bear with me. If you are self-employed, please stand up. I want to do a couple more. Self-employed, some of you don't look very sure. That means if you're working for yourself, not someone else. Just to clarify. Good, Lord, we ask you for these tomorrow. As they work for themselves, may they know they are serving you. May they live under a glorious king. Enjoy your rule. Express your rule. And extend your rule in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do another couple. If you are at home looking after children or elderly or anyone this time tomorrow, would you like to stand, please? If you are a giving care, as it were, at home, I'm going to stop with this one. There are others I know we could do, but time's gone. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> that sums it up lovely. Lord, we ask you that tomorrow, this time tomorrow, there may be grace to know they are treasured. They are doing a hugely, massively important task. The biggest leadership job there is. Lord, we ask you that this time tomorrow, each of these will know they are treasured as they serve their little ones or older ones. May they remember you and serve you and they'll live a distinct lifestyle that shows to anyone watching, look what God's like. We pray in your name. Let's stand, shall we? Lord, grace us all for this time tomorrow. Lord, you are an amazing King. You are outrageously gracious. You are always taking the initiative for us. 
and you are drawing us into this story through the ages. You haven't just got us in a box this big. We're being painted on the eternal canvas because we're a treasured possession. We are a kingdom of priests living a distinct lifestyle because we serve the King. Lord, we ask that others will be curious because there's such a lifestyle being lived. We ask it in your name, Lord, because you are utterly amazing and all the glory goes to you. Amen.